Hi, my name is Christian. I'm a compulsive overeater, 100 pounder. Um, uh, to qualify, uh, my top weight out of program um, was 510 pounds. Uh, I have lost over 270 pounds in program. Um, I have, uh, I, uh, so I definitely qualify as a 100 pounder. Um, it's, <laughs> um, it's funny, the 100 pounders meeting in Westchester uh, was really what I count as my first meeting in L.A. It was the, uh, I was just there leading actually um, a week ago. And I never realized how powerful the women, there's, I used to call them the council. They sit along, <laughs> they, there was these women who all sat along the right, the right flag wall as you're facing out of, facing the room to, to lead. And um, uh, there's a few of them that have passed over the years. And um, when I mentioned them, I just broke down. I, and I've never really done that in a lead where I just broke down crying. And um, it's one of those experiences where I'm so great. It reminds me and it humbles me to be grateful for my recovery in these rooms. And not the physical recovery so much because that took a long time. Um, well, it feels like a long time. I haven't been in that long. I'm 12, I'm 13 years in program, 12 years abstinence. So I can't say I'm like an old time or anything of the sort, but it felt like a long time. Um, and I, uh, and I went to this meeting and I mentioned these women's names, all of them, because I, I knew every woman's name on the council because I would see them every week and they would aid me in my recovery even though I didn't want them to touch me, aid me, talk to me, share their knowledge with me because I didn't care. I just wanted what I wanted, which make me skinny. I'm here, I'm sitting in a chair in the back by the door, make me skinny, make me, because that will solve all my problems. Well, I can assure you, thank, thank God, thank my higher power that that was not how my progress went. Because if I had lost weight right away, like some people experience in program, um, I wouldn't be in this room today. I would have left saying, I found the solution. God gave it to me. Or I would have said, God, not at all. I would have said, I gave it to me. I found it. I made it happen. And I, I, I've lived my life with a lot of I and me statements. And um, my, uh, my former sponsor used to sing a little song to me whenever he'd start hearing the pattern in my check-ins. He'd start singing... I, 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 me, 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 and it would interrupt me, and it would force me to get out of my mind and out of this, my self-centeredness, which is a regular state of being, and um, kind of think, okay, I'm not really checking in now. Now I'm just talking about how fabulous or wonderful or whatever I think I am at the time, and and I wasn't. <laughs> I'm still not. I don't know if that ever is attainable, but. I'm so grateful for the relationships I'm able to have now in my life. When I came in, I was very angry. I didn't want to be touched. I didn't want to be uh, in any way manipulated. Um, I come from a background of some incredibly uh, parental inappropriate behavior. Not molestation, quote-unquote, but behavior that was incredibly um, inappropriate and shouldn't be existing in a household, not from your father. So... Um, and it's funny, you'd think I'd be really... I don't know, did I just press something? For a moment. Um, I heard it beep. Um, you'd think I... I always think, oh, I'd be so mad. I'm so ang- I should be so angry. I don't have that in me anymore. Um, my, my recovery with the emotional and the spiritual, I'm so grateful that came first because the anger would never have permitted me to hear or see 
anyone who's in any of the meetings leading them and uh, trying to share their experience, strength, and hope with me. Um, getting the rage down, which came into a lot of self-acceptance, came into a lot of um, having to look in the mirror like I would, um, I would be nude in my home, of course. Um, well, I've been nude other places. But anyway, <laughs> nude in my home in front of a full-length mirror. And I would, and I just, I'll say God gave me this one. And maybe I heard it in a meeting, but I, I don't believe I've ever heard it again if I did. I would touch the parts of my body that I hated. And I'd say, thank you for functioning. Thank you for being there. I'd touch my, my, my attire. I'd touch my, um, touch my thighs, touch the inner thigh, and say thank you. And I did that for a few years because it, um, it, I had to do something to learn to accept my body because if you something I tell um, a lot of my sponsees if you can't you can't like on a map if you don't know where you're starting you, you won't get anywhere you're lost you can't get anywhere so you have to appreciate where you're at you have to understand where your body's at right now however it looks however dissatisfied you are with it this has to be where you're at right now because if you don't know that if you don't know where you're starting how are you going to get to the finish line and there really isn't a finish line in this program but how are you going to get anywhere? How are you going to get recovery if you don't accept yourself? So that's, that was what helped me, was accepting myself, forcing myself to do it. And it disgusted me, literally disgusted me. I hated my body. I felt like my body was as much my enemy as much as God was my enemy. Because everything that happened to me, of course, I was a victim. I was the perennial victim. I, God was attacking me. God made me fat. Not me eating copious amounts of food, food for families of four every night um, at one meal. But that wasn't doing it. It was God's fault because God was putting that in my head. God made me in this flawed body, this flawed form. And that was my belief back then. Now, I, I try, I'm really grateful for all the harm that I did to this body and all the, ugh, the blackouts, the... Uh, the, the, the fits, the, 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 the weight just sitting on a couch, all the cholesterol, all the fat that this body's ingested. I have clear arteries. I'm healthy. I'm as healthy as I can be. Um, I am a type 2 diabetic, but it's control. It's, I take very minimal medication, and it's controlled with exercise and just eating. Now, eating, of course, being the key part of that, I'm also a total sugar addict. And without this program... I wouldn't be on the minimal medication. I'd probably be on insulin at this point or whatever comes next. I don't even know what comes next, but I don't want to know. But I would be in a, I may not even be alive because I just, my weight was going up. I could not lose weight. I remember getting, not eating, thinking if I don't eat for a day and wishing I could be anorexic, wishing I could be bulimic, which I could tell you I've had a brush with both in recent times. And I can tell, I, I never, never, I could not imagine wishing for that, but I did. Because I was so desperate for the physical recovery because I thought that was the solution. I thought that's what would make Christian better. It'd make me happy. It'd get rid of the rage that was in my heart. Well, it didn't, and it wouldn't have. The only thing that gets rid of the rage in my heart is my higher power. And me just saying, today, just give me the strength to live your will. I was taught, do not ask, do not ask God for things because God's not an ATM machine. You don't just stick your card in and say, I want this, this, and this today. And I have found, no matter what, at least my higher power just giggles and laughs when I say, oh, can you help me with this? And I don't make promises anymore. Oh, if you help me with, get through this, I'll never do this. But, 
I'm a liar and a cheat and a thief, so I will definitely not do anything I make a promise to do in that type of situation. Um, the, uh, the, the parental, a lot of the parental stuff, um, I, I'm adopted and I have two, uh, my, of course I have two parents. Uh, not, not of course, I have two parents. They both are in different stages of dementia right now, so I'm basically their caretaker. Um, they are in facilities where they're being cared for appropriately because I realized I absolutely have no idea how to care for them. And if they fell or something, I would probably break more stuff picking them up because I am ignorant. I have no idea. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a professional. So I knew I needed to find, find centers, find places for them to live that would take care of them in the appropriate way and also feed them appropriately. That sounds weird, but when you, dementia, they're like little kids again. If you just put, if you just tell them to choose what they want, they would choose ice cream candy and cookies, just like, just like little kids. Like, it's amazing. Like, I'm like, I bet you were like that when you were a little kid. Um, and the roles have definitely switched. My father and I had a contentious, violent relationship. We got in fist fights. Um, I hated that man. Hated him with every fiber of my body. Um, he was just a horrible, angry, frustrated little man. And he's way smaller than me, which is, is kind of, the, to me in this hindsight, hilarious. But in, in that time, I was grateful for that. But now, with this, with this program, with the help of my sponsor, my former sponsor, and uh, my former sponsor I had for 13 years, or for 11 years. No, 12 years of the 13. And I met him. He, I made these requirements when I went to my first, what I call my first meeting at the, at the Westchester 100 Pounders. And I said, I want, uh, I want uh, it has to be a gay man, and when he talks, I have to hear me in the talk. Like, I didn't know about hear your own story. I, 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 was, I was new. I had no idea what that meant. So I said, and he, has, and he has to be, like, talking about something I can relate to. And sure enough, I walk into that meeting. And this, this meeting happens to have a lot of women in it. It doesn't really have a lot of men. And sure enough, there's a little, a little guy leading the meeting. And on top of that, in his chair, he's gay. And he totally told my history, my story. It was very close to my story. And I was, I, I mean, honestly, I would never have admitted it or shown it, but I was blown away. And I was, by the end of the meeting, I was shaking, 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 and sweating kind of like I am now, um, probably worse then, and um, walked up to him and just, I barely got the words, would you sponsor me? And I'm just, look, you think I went to Zumba right before. And um, I wasn't doing that back then. Ooh, no, Jim, <laughs> I have a membership. Um, and... I would, and, and he said yes, but he said, call me and call me at this time, which I didn't want to do. So I tried to negotiate the time, and he goes, then you don't really want me to sponsor you. Because he goes, the, the way it works is you have, to, you have to follow the program as I have followed it. Because I can't share what I haven't done. I can't share what I, don't, what I haven't experienced. So I acquiesced, and I said, ooh, big 25-cent word. I acquiesced, I, ex- I agreed, and said, okay, I'll call you at this time tomorrow and I called him not having any idea and he goes well how are you doing and I'm all it's, a, it's, it's been an okay day work was a pain in the neck and I, I can't stand my boss he's a some selective words and he's all he's all okay and then he, you know, we took off from there it's like as I worked with him the more I talked to him the more I shared 
my fault. Now, I was totally inauthentic when I came into the program. I was going to kitchen, uh, not kitchen sink. <laughs> this is kitchen sink. I was going, I'm pointing far away. Um, I was going to Roxbury Park. I'd get up and share, and I'd think, I have to be a rock star. I have to share something funny and witty and, and whatever, and it doesn't have to be true. Because my whole life, my parents were like, all, all the nasty stuff stays at home. When we leave the house or when people are over, you hide it. Because people do not need to know what's going on in, in our family. They only need to know that we're fine. And we have a house and we have cars and material things, so we're doing good. And even though inside it's like falling apart. So that was what I was raised in. So it was very difficult for me to break that, keep it private. Because I did that in my own life. But what we call, the, what we call that in program is isolation. Not keeping it private. Because I didn't have kids or wife or anything. So, no. <laughs> I just was isolating, and that's why I, I got up and I wanted to say, oh, this, 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 and this, and ha, 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 and he, he, he. And I remember there's some old-timers who have approached me in recent, in just recent times and said, I remember when you came in, you were just ridiculous. You were, you were, they're very honest with me. I love it. <laughs> they're like, you were ridiculous. You were just, you get up and you put on a pony show, and it was so stupid, but... It's what you had to go through. And they say these words to me. But now I know it's coming from a place of love. And I understand what it means when someone says, if you're going to say something to someone that's, say it's authentic, and it may not, you know, you try not to hurt people or in any drastic way. But if you're coming from a place of love, whatever you're saying will be, will somehow come out right. And you don't have to worry about it. But if you're coming from a place of anger or spite, it's all, it's going to go wrong. It will go insanely off the rails. And that was my life. Everything was off the rails. Everything I said to people was cruel and mean. I didn't have a nice button. Um, I had a friend tell me once in San Francisco when I was still up north, um, tell me, there's not, I've never heard you. And he knew me for years. And he goes, I've never heard you say a single positive thing about anyone, anything, any place, and like, Period. That you've never said anything good. Everything out of your mouth is negative and horrible. And you, he goes, it's like you have a dark cloud around you. And he goes, and when you get mad, you get scary. Because that's not mad. The negativity wasn't mad. That was normal every day. Mad was a whole different level of hatred and conniving. And I was very good at planning people's misery. So I love making other people miserable. Because if I'm miserable, or if you've done something that offended me, pissed me off, and offended me would be like, oh, you know, those pants are kind of tight. Or, oh, you know, anything. Like most, particularly if you comment on my body. Wow, you know, you're, you're, it looks like you gained a little weight. Well, explicatives would come out immediately. And then I'd find a way to make that person as unhappy as I could. Because what they said to me was, I didn't ask you, I didn't ask you what I look like. I didn't ask you for your opinion. So... I'm going to make sure you hurt today like you just hurt me. Because I was a victim. That was my, I realized that was like my MO. Like every, and I'm not alone. I've heard, I've heard many, many shares about, about this. But I, I, I was just, this, it, 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 in hindsight, it's, it's, you know, it's always 2020. And it amazes me how I made everything about me. My dad had prostate cancer. And this is still a man at that time that I despise. He had prostate cancer. And I never visited him in the hospital. I wasn't there for his surgery. I did not see him once during his treatments for prostate cancer and the removal of his prostate. I never visited once. And I didn't know I didn't do I didn't know I did that 
until a friend, because this is how disconnected I was, I'd make sure I numbed myself with tens of thousands of calories every day so I wouldn't feel guilt. I, wouldn't, I didn't feel anything. So I had a very dear family friend tell me when my mom uh, had, or no, I'm sorry, when my dad had a heart attack and went into heart surgery, I, I was already in program, thank God, and I was there for my mom and I was there for my dad. And our family friend said, it's funny, when your father had prostate cancer, which was pretty serious, you never came. You never showed up. You were never here. And I was like, oh, I came. And she's like, no, I was here every day with your dad. This is a, someone who's not related to him, which might be why. But anyway, um, <laughs> she was there. She was, that just occurred to me. But she was there every day. He was her teacher. That was their connection. So this woman was there every day with him in the hospital. I never showed up once. And, and she said, people, people thought you were pretty much so a big asshole for never being there. They thought you were just a really rotten person. And she goes, and I supported them in that. She goes, because it was horrible that you weren't there for your father. And that's what my way got me. My friends, Dave and Nicole, they are my dearest friends they are married. They're mar- they, got, they got married. They got married. <laughs> gee, funny. They got married. They got pregnant. Um, they, had me, they, they made the mistake of asking me out to dinner at Chevy's restaurant. I remember, I can tell you every food item I ate that night. But the sad part of this is I can't tell you what, we, what they said to me. What they, anything that was said, I don't remember. And to this day, I don't remember. They invited me specifically to sit down and I was the first person on the planet earth that they told they were telling that we're pregnant with our first child I missed that entire moment and I was sitting right in front of them but I ordered my triple fajita thing and again I can tell you in detail what I ate that night it's still in my brain but I cannot tell you I don't remember them even talking to me I I seriously thought they were quiet eating I thought we were quiet eating a meal but they were telling me, we're pregnant, we're excited, we're telling you before even our own families, that's how much we love you. And I wasn't capable of returning that love, nor was I capable of hearing what they said to me. That's what my addiction got me. It got me, I, it got me, it got me so disconnected. Um, it disconnected me from the world, so I was unable to participate in my own life. And it affected them. When I told them years later, I, I did wait years before I told them, I, have no, I cannot remember you guys saying a word to me that night. But they, after that, not too long after that, they wrote a three-page letter to me in email because they saw my behavior that night around the food. They saw the focus. that I see it on TV. Like I, I, I watch 600-pound life. I don't know why I want to watch that because um, I was so close to it. I think that's why. Because I've cried watching. I know that feeling. And I do. Um, there's this desperation. I, I've seen people eating with this desperation. And it, it, I don't... I know I recognize it only because it's me and because I did that was most of my life has been eating like that desperation and I would, they, know, they saw me eating like that and they wrote this three page letter outlining everything and they loved me enough to say you need to do something about this one you're tremendously big you, you're, you're bigger than one chair two you're eating tremendous amounts of food that would feed multiple people that fajita plate was built for sharing not for me. And it and they outlined these things and we went golfing up in the Sierras and I was I could barely caddy my bag. Yet the year before, 
I had gotten into kind of good shape by white knuckling it, and I had like walked all 18 holes, no problem. Yet a year later, I could, do, and then a year later, I didn't want to go sledding because I was too big for the sled, and the sled would just honestly, literally, it sank into the snow. So it was embarrassing. So I stayed inside and made hors d'oeuvre trays. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> that, so this was the level. This is what my way got me. This is what. Christian's way, Christian's thinking, the, the really bad neighborhood up in my head got me. But because of the people in this room, because of my, my sponsor, and the, my, the people I call, they allow me to have a reprieve every day from this disease so I don't have to live that way anymore. I'm no longer isolated. I have my partner, Daniel, I've been with for five years, and uh, we went through cancer together, and I didn't make one moment of that about me. That was a miracle. My mom's dementia is not about me. My dad's dementia is not about me. Nothing in this life is about me except for my own crazy neighborhood up here. Now, when I go into my little neighborhood, then it's about me. And blessedly, I have people in my life who are willing, and fellows who are willing to tell me when I'm making it about me and it's not really about them. Or, when I'm starting to do that, I have a sponsee call. And then they're going, they're deep in their all about me mode and it kicks me out of mine. Because I go, you're making that all about you. How about we make it about this, the person you're actually talking about? And it kicks me out of my mode, which is where sponsorship, I think, is so invaluable to us. It's, it's a step. It's a part of this program that lets us share the experience and hope with someone on a very personal level, and it helps you recover. I did not know what that meant when people said that in my earlier recovery before I was sponsoring. And oh, when I first started sponsoring, it was like, uh, Armageddon. It was so bad. I was such a horrible sponsor to begin with. <laughs> I lost so many sponsees and they never, I, they didn't even come back to the room. So I don't say that's all on me because it's really, it's their higher power working with them and they'll find their way back if they need to or whatever is going to go on. But I was really, because I made their recovery. I made, I became, I wanted to be their God. So luckily that got it. Luckily that ended a long time ago, quite a few years ago. But it, the sponsorship has saved my behind too. And like I said, I get those calls. I'll forget they're calling at 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock. And they'll call on time and I'll be like, oh my goodness. Look at this. God saving me from myself. And that's what this has been. I've had 12 years of God saving me from myself. Because myself gets me in these rooms at 8.30 in the morning. Myself gets me um, into a lot of trouble. Myself uh, doesn't allow me to be able to share my love and be in a relationship that's healthy and productive and have friendships that are real and productive. Thank you for letting me share. This is a time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. All right. Yes. Good morning, Cece. Did you talk about step six and seven and your experience with them? Hmm. Actually, I need to look them up. <laughs> Thank you. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I know these. <laughs> Thank you, God. Um, people-pleasing. One of the hardest character defects I had. Um, some of the BS and stuff that I did in my, early, in my very beginning days, <laughs> I don't pretend like I'm not full of BS any, to today, any minute. Um, I used to, uh, 
always, always, always want people to be, no one should be sad. No one should feel bad. No one should be remembering something bad because I'm saying something. Um, I wanted everyone to just be happy. I avoided conflict by being a people pleaser. And um, that was super, super difficult. To surrender that up to God, first I had to get the concept of God. Because when I came to the program, I had just this, this warrior with, with, uh, with a trident, even though that's kind of mixing a lot of Poseidon and all that. But <laughs> I had this warrior who wanted to just constantly poke me and electrocute me and make me as miserable as possible. So with that HP, there's no way I could have surrendered my shortcomings, nor been willing to. And I also didn't see them as shortcomings. I thought that was how everyone lived. I thought everyone was a people pleaser. But that's only at work. Like in corporate America, where I worked, yeah, everyone was kind of a, uh, well, everyone was kind of a people pleaser. But in the real life, I didn't realize people don't do that. People actually know how to say the word no. Or I would not like to do that today. Or no, that would not be good for me. All those, th- those phrases didn't exist for me. Um, so I worked with my sponsor. I wrote about them. <laughs> He liked writing. I don't know if he wrote a lot with his sponsor, but I could say I wrote a lot with him. And that writing is what helped me to release a lot of my character defects up to God, saying, I know they're not going to be gone necessarily, but I'm not going to have to live in them every day. And I'm not going to have to always put energy into living in them every day. I don't have to people please everyone. Not everyone has to be happy nor like me. In fact, no one has to like me for me to survive in the world. That's not my choice. That would never be my choice. But I had to tell myself, it's okay. If you were on your own, you'd be okay. Just with your HP and you, you'd be okay. You'll survive the day. Did that kind of hit it? All right. Thank you for your sharing. You mentioned you were a liar, cheat, and a thief. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you made your journey towards an honest how you got over the fear of that? Um, I was a liar, thief, and a cheat. Um, how did I... I forgot I have to repeat the question. So how did I, uh, how did I get through that? Um, that's, that's when I... I've done the fourth step a few times, and, and I did the ninth step, of course, following that. That was a big part of it for me, was have, forcing myself to be... Forcing myself into a situation where I had to be honest... But I didn't want to be honest. Like, I didn't want to go to my parents and say, I, I stole $5,000 out, out of this account that you didn't think I knew about and that you don't track because you think it's, oh, it's fine. We put money there. It should be there. I didn't want to pay it back. <laughs> I sure heck didn't want to pay it back. You're my parents. You want to give it to me. It's a gift. Yeah. It's only a gift when they give it to you, not when you take it. That's thievery. That's stealing. And I didn't think of it as stealing. I convinced myself... Just like I convinced myself at 510 pounds that I'm eating normally. That this, that I was, I was okay. That it was okay. I was just borrowing the money and it would go back. Um, so by being forced to face, to face my lying and cheating and stealing, it broke me of the fear of it. Because I realized when I went to my parents, they, they weren't, they're my parents. They weren't like pissed. They were upset for a moment, but they weren't pissed. And that, and they weren't, everything in my head that I anticipated was wrong. Everything, I I had a bad habit of doing that. I would anticipate what you all were going to say and do and prepare myself for it. But all I was doing was preparing for the worst case scenario, which in my head, 
was really bad. Like, like again, Armageddon. While in reality, it was never like that. None of my experiences with the ninth step were ever as severe as I thought they were going to be. Going into a supermarket where I had stolen many, many items and paying restitution, the manager didn't give a... I'm sorry, the manager didn't care. He was like, I don't, even, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you're doing, but we'll take your money. I've, no one has ever refused a check from me. <laughs> no matter how much I wish they would say, oh, no, we don't need it. No, they always take it. So um, I've also had to contribute to a charity once because um, it, was, it, was just, it was the only way to kind of make restitution to an individual who had already passed and wasn't around anymore, and I didn't know their family, so I, made a, I wrote a $1,000 check to a, a charity that I would never have supported normally. But it was something that they did and something that their family believed in. So that's kind of how I, I, I got through the lying, cheating students. I faced music. But it, I learned the music wasn't that loud. The music wasn't that bad. So that, that's what really helped me. And that helped me get through it, rather than living in my craziness. What are the best lessons you've learned from this program? Um, uh, what is the best lesson I've learned in Overeaters Anonymous, in this program? It has to be acceptance of other, of, of other people. Acceptance of you the way you are. Acceptance of my dad the way he is. Acceptance of my mother the way, she, with, the way she acquiesced to all of the craziness that went on. I had to learn to accept my parents and many, many, many other people in my life exactly the way they are. Because they're not going to change and they don't have to change. I have to change. I'm the, oops, I'm the only one who can change how the world is affecting me. And so with the help of my higher power, I learned to accept. That's how, that's how I came to accept other people and find peace just being around. Because I used to say, I hate people. And if ever, everyone's stupid and blah, blah, blah. Come on. The only stupid one was me. The only one who was being douchey was me. <laughs> so... Um, you said that it, you, uh, it took you about a year to get abstinent, or at least to get mm-hmm. this abstinence. What is it that during that year changed that allowed you to get abstinent? Um, <laughs> during that first year, during my very first year in program, I, of course, again, rock star. Wanted to be the rock star of OA. It's like being like, like, like Farmer Ted, king of the nerds. Um, but I'm not saying any of your nerds. I'm just saying that, that's like, I think of sweet uh, 16 candles whenever I think of it, I say that. It's, it's like, um, I, I, I went to, uh, I could say I lost my absence in Greece, but I, didn't, I don't feel I lost anything because I was lying. I was just lying to, I was lying to my sponsor. I was lying about what I was eating. I was gaining weight and getting bigger. And it wasn't like that was the secret or being hidden from anyone. And I'll tell you, we are astute observers in OA. People can tell when, what's going on and they know. But people also have the humility to not always say something. And, the, and then some of the people will say, sometimes your sponsor will be like, hmm, okay. But my sponsor didn't. He let me live in my BS for that first year. And smoking, I always call it smoke and mirrors. And he knew I was going out of, t- I was going to be out of town for about a month in um, overseas. And he he said, call and check in. I never called him once because when I went on vacation, program went on vacation. And th- this was my first year, so of course I'm like, I'm not going to call him. I'm not going to restrict my what I'm going to eat or drink, or particularly eat. I didn't really drink much. And. 
when I got home and I broke my absence over a meal um, or over a dessert because I had this big list of specific things I wasn't supposed to eat and um, my friend who was an alcohol, a sober, uh, recovering alcoholic I had a drink that I thought was disgusting and he had, he had a dessert he didn't like so we traded <laughs> and he lost his sobriety that night and I lost my, my um, I want to say sobriety I, I lost my abstinence that night whatever and even though there was no abstinence to be had I still lost whatever I had in my head made up that I had and, uh, and it's such a crazy story and when I came home he, he told me you're going to get up in front of um, Roxbury Park in the old room when that room used to be packed with 200 plus people he goes you're going to get up in front of them and you're going to tell them exactly what you did and I said I'm I'm not getting up in front of anyone I'm not doing that and he's all you're going to get up in front of he was little but when he he got angry at me he got angry at me and it was very clear what I was doing he said you're going to get up in front of them you're going to tell them what you did because that is the only way you're going to recover from this otherwise you know you're welcome to relapse Welcome to perhaps suffering you're not even don't even know you're going to do, but he goes you need to get in front of them, and I you know I cannot say where the willingness came to do that. I can only say my HP was with me even when I didn't believe in my HP and I didn't have an HP in my mind, which doesn't mean anything in the end. And that's how that's kind of what broke me out of it, and that's how I lost that, that first year of abstinence. But getting in front of that room when I did that, confessing my my what I did, was so humbling and humiliating, which I realize those words are very similar, that I never wanted to have to do that again. I said I'm never going to do this again. If I'm going to do an abstinence, it's going to have to work, and I'm not going to break it. It's not going to be something that's easy to break, and I'm going to do it. But I'm done being embarrassed. I'm done being humiliated. Because that was really embarrassing at that time. Things I've done far more embarrassing things in recovery that, that I thought would be embarrassing that now aren't. But that's really how I got through that. And that's how that first year went. It was, it was kind of ridiculous. But I'm grateful for it because it helps me to appreciate where I'm at now. Yep. Thanks, Christian. Um, you mentioned like, the crazy relationship uh, with your parents and Thank you. Um, I had a really crazy negative experience with both my parents growing up, and uh, the question is, where am I at today with my parents? Um, I, before my parents' dementia really set in as it has now, and this was quite a few, about three or four years ago, I really came to, blessedly, I, was, I came to a really good place with my dad and with my mom. My mom never was that bad, but my dad was the real challenge, and I, um, and I basically came to accept him for the man he is. I had a roof over my head, we had food on the table, <laughs> lots of food apparently, and, um, and we had, because um, he was always the one who'd say, oh, there's one more pork chop left, you have it, because I didn't have any siblings, so it was just me. So, oh, love and food. Um, and I came to accept him, and I went to him one day, sat down with him, which was very hard and very rare and very scary for me, because usually when I sat with my dad, it meant violence would ensue eventually, because we, were, I, we never had conversations. But I sat down, and I told myself, you have to be the change. I, 
It's not someone that he's never going to change. He is not. That was the biggest thing that helped me was I accepted him the way he was. The tools he had to work with that he was given were horrible. And I knew I, I know his family, so I know they all have the same set of tools and it's not great. So I understood it wasn't he wasn't trying to be anything. He was this is just him that I need to change, so I'm going to accept you. I'm going to love you just the way you are. And I did. I said those words to him and he cried for the first time in my entire life I saw him cry. I don't know if because of his advanced years also that maybe he'd softened up over time, but whatever happened, my higher power, it was the right time. And we came to an we came to a place where now I can I talk to him usually every other day. Even with his dementia, he's he's still at the stage where he can I can still have conversations with him. And I'm so grateful for that because I'm getting to have a relationship. I've been blessed with having a relationship for the last few years with my dad that I never thought I'd have. I thought I'd, he'd go to the grave without me ever doing that. And I've learned things about him and his family and how he thinks and where he comes from that have helped me to truly understand him. So, and my mom, we're in a great... You know, she's, my mom actually left probably three years ago. She hasn't been present. The mom I grew up with hasn't been present for years at this point because her dementia is quite advanced and she lives in a very different reality than the rest of us. But I still go there. I still send her Mother's Day gifts. I send her Mother's Day flowers and I go visit her. Like last time I visited her, she felt me. She's blind and almost deaf. And she felt me and she goes, she goes, it's not you. So the whole two hours I was there, she was telling me, I'm not me because she's not used to feeling me at this weight. She's never known me at this way. And she also, I don't know if my energy's changed, but something, she just kept saying, it's not you, it's not you, you're not my son. And the nice part is, again, I, didn't, I don't make things about me. That also helped with my parents. Is I don't make their behaviors about me. Their opinions of me are none of my business. And in fact, anyone's opinion of me is really none of my business. And I'm okay with that. And I love that phrase because it, sa- it saves me from that always comparing myself to others, which is part of one, another one of my character defects that I dealt with. Um, you're up there, Thank you. My absence is uh, really simple. It's no white flour, no white sugar. That's it. <laughs> really easy. Um, I, 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 have, I do. In the morning, um, I meditate in the morning. I wake up. The first thing I do is splash. And I always picture Joan Crawford with the ice in the bowl. Um, I picture it. It's not what I do. But I get cold water and I splash it in my face three times. I don't know why it's three, but I do it three times. I, stand, I look in the mirror and I go alert, alive, and awake. Thank you, God, for another day. And I say that every day because I realize waking up is an accomplishment. It's, you know, it's, I used to think, but it is. There are people who did not wake up today. They were not blessed with waking up today. And I feel I need to be grateful for that. And also that makes me feel like I've achieved something every morning. So I start off my day with an achievement. I woke up today. So that's, part, that's the first part. And then I usually take the time to do about a five-minute meditation, which for me is like really pushing meditation for me. Um, I started off with like 10 seconds, I think, and that was even hard to quiet my mind. But now... Being able to take that deep cleansing breath and just sit and just kind of open my mind like listening. I feel like I'm 
um, to, in Tron, they say knocking on knocking on the sky or knocking on the universe, something like that. And I feel like that. I feel like I just I open my mind and I say, whatever you need to put in, just put it in, plug it in. I'll hear it. I'll get it. And I find I always leave my meditation much more peaceful than when I went in. So that so that's kind of that's kind of my routine. I don't do a lot of readings. My readings I usually do in the evening. So in the morning, that's kind of my routine. Thank you for letting me share.